we are the first generation who truly and fully believe, certainly in the West, that the material world is all that there is. We no longer live in a world that we perceive to be mystical or enchanted. Our forefathers would not have had the same problems. People would have had an understanding that things were mystical and things were supernatural and you could put oil on somebody's head and, and something changed. So I suppose this is a plea for retaining the weirdness and mystery of Christian faith. Christian faith is about a revelation from heaven to earth of, of God and who God is. What something like the coronation reminds us is that people are globally and have been historically open to the supernatural. If we don't see it in quite the same way in our contemporary culture, um, I think we need to hear from people globally and we need to listen to history and actually keep the weirdness in Christianity. Welcome to the Calling a City to Life podcast produced by Queen's Park Baptist Church here in Glasgow, a sunny Glasgow as it happens, or at least for the next 45 minutes or so. Each week we produce two episodes. The first is produced from the audio from our Sunday services, which we call The Talk, and then there's this show, which we call The Chat, where we take a deeper dive into the message that was delivered on the previous Sunday. Last week's sermon was given by Ian, our senior pastor. Say good morning, Ian. Good morning, everybody. And we're also joined by Brody, our communities and missions pastor. Say good morning, Brody. Good morning. I was disappointed Ian didn't say good morning, Ian. <laughs> and that means there's only one person left to play that joke. Jackie. I was going to say, I'm not going to say good morning, Ian, right? That's going to be a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, I'm Richard. Very nice to be speaking to you this morning, this afternoon or this evening, whenever you happen to be listening to this. So Ian, it's your turn this week. Without hesitation, repetition or deviation, you have 60 seconds to summarise what you said on Sunday. Well, you think we'd be prepared for this, but uh, here we go. See if I can remember. No, clearly Sunday we were thinking about the Holy Spirit, our need for the Holy Spirit. And uh, the basic line was um, how vital it is for every one of us who's in Christ to intentionally, habitually, continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Excellent. Well, thank you for that summary, but you started off the weekend with two big words. Well, one big word, really. Pneumatological poverty. Tell us all about pneumological poverty, Ian. See, what well, my whole hope, and it seems that you have proved this hope to be correct, Richard. I thought if I used a word that nobody had ever heard before, it would stick in the mind uh, and therefore would, uh, would cause us to remember what we're talking about. Pneumatological basically just means about the Holy Spirit. And my point was that we are uh, people who are impoverished by our lack of the Spirit at work in our lives uh, and our need to be um, partaking of the riches of the Holy Spirit regularly. So that's the kind of just the setup for what I was going to, uh, to say. So it was nothing to do with tyre pressures then? Absolutely not, no. And, and probably just one thing I need to just jump in here with. I kind of made the comment that I get regular recommendations for what should and shouldn't be done about the state of the church in the UK. Um, now, I should have made it clear that those recommendations tend to come from advisors and consultants 
not generally from members of Queen's Park <laughs> Baptist Church or other churches. So um, whilst I do on occasion get a recommendation for what I should or should not be doing, this was not a um, personal response or reaction to anything that I've received from any anybody personally in my inbox. Look at the value of the podcast allowing you to rectify a misunderstanding. <laughs> well, he, here's the thing, you know, is this our process for rectification, rectifying all uh, failing sermons and misdirected comments uh, on a Sunday morning? So you used a brilliant phrase, Ian, that I appreciated you said we need his spirit and we need to cry out to him for more this is not for spiritual self-indulgence and i thought that was a brilliant reflection because sometimes we are guilty of feeling like we are enjoying the holy spirit for ourselves and for our own enjoyment and we were actually at the alpha leaders conference last week and nikki gumbel was referencing exactly this he was talking about how the dead sea has water coming in, but water doesn't flow out, water just evaporates. And so therefore it gets saltier and saltier. And he was saying that without an outlet for the Holy Spirit, we become people who are, well, his phrase was saltier and saltier, but the importance of actually understanding that being filled with the Holy Spirit isn't just for our own enjoyment or our own pleasure. It is also for purpose. Yeah, I think this kind of gets back to something we were talking about a couple of weeks ago uh, when we were thinking about money and the whole idea of this poverty mentality that there's this economics in the kingdom of God uh, which really flips on its head the economics of our, our souls. You know, we think we give and when we give it, we've given something away, we've lost. Um, but actually in the kingdom of God, when we give away, we gain. Uh, and actually because there are fathomless riches of God's life and presence in him, there's a sense in which the more we actually give away, the more we gain and the more capacity we grow and develop to to retain. And I think God seems to deposit within those who are most generous the most resources um, in order that they might be uh given away. So I think there is that whole obsession that we have with holding on to things uh, and everything being about ourselves when actually God's generosity is to be outpoured through us to other people. And I, yeah, so I think that's kind of partly where it all comes from. Brody, Ian had said that we lack the spirit because we leak the spirit. Presumably that's just by the nature of our creation that we aren't actually able to to stay either pure in ourselves and so therefore issues of sin and so on can offend the spirit and the spirit is not going to hang around or also just because by the nature of ourselves we're thinking about ourselves we're thinking about worldly things and so it, we you know we just don't naturally act as a good vessel for the holy spirit in our own strength i quite like the idea of leaking the spirit to be honest with you <laughs> Of, I think. Oh, so it can be good leaking or yeah, bad leaking. In, in many senses, I think we're we're meant to be leaky vessels. I think one of the key things Ian was saying on Sunday, picking up on kind of like how Paul understood this, is that we're to continually be in the spirit. That the spirit is about all of life. In Him, we move and live and have our our being. This is about a location transfer. It's about all of life. So the spirit just isn't when we're doing ministry, inverted commas, if we want to create some kind of false divide between, you know, 
um, having dinner with the family or doing their chores or, or working um, of do you know what the spirit is involved in that as well because we're called to walk by the spirit 24 7 365 days a year the problem is to go back to ian's previous message the other day week there we're like sheep and we go astray you know and we stop walking by the spirit and start to do things in our own strength and or just become forgetful of the spirit i was uh Monday's my day off and I went down to see my dad and we went for a wee trip down to, to Largs and it was a really still day and there was a couple of uh, sailing yachts um, on the water but they didn't have their sails up and I think that so often we don't have our sails up we're busy trying to, to go somewhere or do God's stuff in our own strength forgetting that we need to put our sails up so that we are filled with the spirit to 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 do what we're called to do under the, the the power and inspiration and the direction that the spirit is wanting us to go i was intrigued ian and it regularly gets my attention in various books of the new testament the paradox between paul writing to these churches saying like praising them for how filled with the spirit they are and you commented on it it's a church overflowing while at the same time there is various things going significantly wrong in the same place and actually there is a paradox between the spirit working but that doesn't mean that everything is always perfect you know the church is still filled with people. There are still issues. Paul is writing to all of these bodies throughout the Roman world at the time and kind of on the one hand saying, this is great and you can move in the spirit. And on the other hand, this is not so great. And and you brought in the letters to the churches in Revelation and it got me thinking about the, the lukewarm being hot or cold. And that maybe what we see in the New Testament, a lot is... It's hot, but maybe we kind of like things being more lukewarm because it's less risky. Like, it, there's less, I know it's not stress, but there's just less, well, I suppose it is risk. There's just less risk at pushing into things which we're maybe not familiar with, things of the spirit or just relationships and being open and honest and frank with each other. Yeah, I think there's always the danger of using the expressions or manifestations of the spirit as a indicator of maturity um whereas they they might not actually be any kind of indicator of maturity they, they might just be a manifestation of necessity um and if you imagine that we are engaging with a vast supernatural power and presence then it's perhaps not surprising that there might then be some turbulence in our lives as our lives come up against that. Uh, it's certainly not surprising that those of us who are unfamiliar, as I think we all are, with supernatural ways, that when we encounter that, we're not really most able to navigate it. Um, and then there's also the whole thing we are so absorbed in the world as it is that what we generally experience is what we can measure and touch and taste and see and therefore that is our familiar territory that's the the water that we're familiar with swimming in so we i guess when things when we are drawn out of what is familiar there is a tendency either just to 
turn back into what is familiar for for safety and security, or just simply that that over time the the stress and pressure of the world around about us just kind of pulls us back into that place. So I think there is something intentional. I think that's what it means to be going on, being filled with the Spirit, is just to step into those places of um, of encounter with with God, even though that might be disruptive for us and. And yeah, I think that's uh, that's always always the challenge, and there, and it's always difficult when that's not as straightforward and as manageable and as controllable or as familiar as as the kind of world that we inhabit most of the time. So, so do we try too much to get all of our ducks in a row with so many other things before we engage with the Holy Spirit in the way that we see done in the New Testament? Are we just too organised in a strange way? Do we associate the Holy Spirit too much with everything has to be right for the Holy Spirit to work properly, rather than just saying, as I think you're, as I think you're suggesting, that the Holy Spirit is God, source of all of this power and authority, and actually we should just be naturally moving into that space, irrespective as to what else is going on around us. That should be our primary port of call. Yeah, I'm not convinced it's a disordered or an ordered kind of choice. I think, as Brody mentioned earlier on, this is about a posture in which we live our lives. It's about living, um, you know, I think I, one of my points was adopt the position, <laughs> you know, so it's actually, there's a, the intentionality is to say, I'm going to live in the spirit, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to look either very ordered or very disordered. It's actually about God invading probably the, the, the ordinary parts of our lives and God being present in the ordinary parts of our lives. And I think it probably looks a little bit more um, about our intentionality and about being aware of God and God's presence and what God is actually saying on a day-to-day basis. And that might actually be quite ordinary. Um, it might just be that we're more attentive to what God might be saying to somebody else. And that we bring a word of encouragement, which could actually be it could actually be quite disordering and quite disruptive to somebody or it could actually bring into th- things into an order i guess there's also a whole thing where you know we we have one set of order um order around us and there's a kingdom order as well and the spirit is really drawing us into that kind of pattern of god's order and god's kingdom which will be different it will be going against the grain of what we experience so there is a level of reordering rather than maybe disordering to, to take your 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 comments slightly differently richard of we need wineskins so we need structures and we need programs etc and they can be really helpful they are really helpful i i there is a critique of the church in the west more broadly that we've jazzed up the wineskin so much made it so pretty so essential to what we do so, you know, uh-huh. the worship is off the charts, the, the building is warm and comfortable, the, the, the donuts that are served pre-service, not that we serve donuts, are just the best donuts that you can ever get. We've focused on the wineskins, on the structures, but what about the wine? So I think there's a challenge to the church in these days broadly of within the structures which are necessary, you know, we need to know what we're doing and, and all that sort of stuff. How do we create that space for the Holy Spirit to move and, and minister to us? And how do we become alert enough that we recognise, oh, God's doing something here. Let's, let's ditch the run sheet. Let's, let's go in the direction that God's taking us. And I guess the danger is a bit like inoculation of, 
of have we become kind of like so inoculated against something because we've got these fancy programs that that's the way that we've got to to do it i guess that's that's a challenge i think for the contemporary church yeah i i think maybe just even to come in off the the back of that as well i think richard your comment was something around the lines of are there particular structures or paths that we put in place that almost create the right conditions for the holy spirit and I suppose there is there are things we can do that hinder the Holy Spirit and things that can get in the way. But I, I think the point that we're maybe trying to make is it's the Spirit that comes first and then the wineskin follows in line with that rather than the wines, you know, producing the perfect wineskin that the wine can then fill. But actually the how we structure and what we do is responsive to what the Spirit is doing. And, you know, there's many places around the world where you, know, you can go and, the church uh, community, you know, wouldn't be particularly structured. They'd have maybe some kind of structure, but actually God's doing a whole load of stuff out in the community and God's touching lives, healing people, changing folks dramatically. And then it's, then all of that is being gathered into a community and the community is being built off the, the work of the Holy Spirit um, in the, in the city, the town or whatever. So I think that's kind of what we're saying. It's about finding what the Spirit is doing elevating the work of God and then coordinating and organising where we can around and about that. You referenced, Ian, about the capacity we have for being a bit arrogant, that we don't actually need the Holy Spirit. And it's so easy for us in church life or in our personal lives to feel that the structures that we put in place actually are the things that keep things running and things that keep things together and that actually our capacity to do things on our own strength is, is larger than it actually in reality is. I was reminded actually of the story in Luke when Jesus' parents take him to Jerusalem for a Passover and then they leave him behind. And of course, they don't notice for quite some time. And I wondered your thoughts on our ability to do things and then to not realise that actually the Holy Spirit isn't there. Yeah, it's, it is a tendency you know, and it is something that goes back to, to really the the early days. You know, I was just thinking when you were talking about, you know, Paul's comments in, in Galatians about the people of God starting off with the spirit and ending up in the flesh. Uh, you know, and there is that whole tendency where, I mean, even with the best intentions in the world, you can so just so easily just get into patterns um, as human beings that we forget the reason for why we've done something. Um, and I think that can happen, you know, with the Holy Spirit. We just get into rhythms and routines and we keep on walking, uh, you know, and, and to take your story without realising what it is that's propelled us. And that, I guess, in essence, that's why we know we have, we have the sermon that we had on Sunday, which is really to call attention to the fact that, you know, we can roll on in our own merry way and every now and then, you know, we need to be arrested in our tracks and to say, you know, what have you, what have you left behind? What have you forgotten of um, life in God that you need to get back to? And of course, ideally we'd be doing that daily and uh, hourly, but, I guess sometimes, you know, we do forget and we need to be recalled. So what does that look like then? You're saying, okay, personally for us, it would be how wonderful that we would be aware continually of our need for him. But in church life, I'm thinking of any of the teams we're involved in. What does that look like to be consciously 
intentionally making that our priority, that that is what we're picking? What are practical ways that we can actually shift that? There is the intentional prayer of dependence. Do you know the spirit? Inviting the spirit to be part of what we're doing. You know, the ancient prayer of the church, calm Holy Spirit. You know, and I think even when we're doing things that we're very familiar with, we get into operational mode, you know, and we kind of run into the practicalities of what we do without actually stopping and inviting the spirit. I think the other thing that God does is to kind of put us in places where we run out of our own abilities. So I think maybe just kind of putting ourselves in places where, and that's not hard to do. It's not hard to find things where you're well beyond your own ability and you're out of your depth. So I think those are the kind of things, certainly personally, where I'm going, please, Lord, help. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that happens. I mean, that's happened already this morning. Can I just say that? I'm speaking at something at the weekend. I'm going to have a clue what to say. Lord, help. help. <laughs> um, you know, so. Not lost another goldfish, have you? Um, no, we haven't lost it. Well, the, the goldfish is now deceased of natural causes Officially. after a, a long time, but uh, survived quite well after his uh, episode on the carpet behind the um, bookcase. I wonder whether another really practical thing, and practical doesn't always mean easy, does it? The practical no. thing is is just slowing down a bit. You know, mm. Karen kind of like used that quote which reminded me of Kuzuki Koyama, a Japanese theologian who talks about God walking at two miles an hour because that's the speed of a, 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 a water buffalo in a rice paddy and of in our accelerated culture and, and this is back to kind of like some of what Ian was saying of you know we the, the water that we live in so often is is our culture around about us rather than living in God's kingdom kind of thing and in an accelerated culture where, you know, it's busyness and do more and do more of actually just taking that time because we don't do silence and things like that well. You know, my kids kind of like joke at times of dad, we're sure you've got ADHD and things like that, of, of just sitting still and just pausing in, in whatever it is that we're doing, whether, you know, it's even in this just now of just pausing and, and just being conscious of the, the spirit and inviting the spirit to be part of what we're doing, of of just doing that so often that it becomes that, that constant thing of so I think I think there's a slowing down, an intentional slowing down in, in some of what we're doing just to create that that space and, and that awareness of and, and ask that question of the spirit of, of what are you doing or that cry of help of spirit I really need you now because I don't know what I'm doing you know so, so slowing down I think is a key a key thing right now Colin and Susie are having a bit of a giggle because they were with myself and Jack at uh, the Alpha conference and that exact line although it was given as three miles an hour so maybe water buffalo are slightly faster in London than in Scotland and uh, my wife is well known for walking quite quickly in comparison to the rest of us. So yeah, there was a bit of a giggle about that, but it was a very interesting theme overall of the Alpha couple of days in the Albert Hall was the number of people that spoke about silence and stillness <laughs> and just the complete lack of that in virtually anything we do. Unfortunately, if we go silent in the podcast, the emergency broadcast transmission kicks in. <laughs> but uh, so the but it, it was and there was lots of like uh, there was a number of nuns 
at the conference, a lot of them from closed orders, where they would spend a lot of time in silence and some of the stories they were telling and some of the reflections they were, they did a kind of lecto, is it lecto? Divina, along with Pete Gregg, so it was a, a nun from South Cornwall and Pete Gregg, two divergent personalities that you could not put two more different people on a platform together. They worked brilliantly. I suggest anyone who gets the chance to check it out on YouTube or wherever it does, whenever it's made available. But it was just really interesting to hear that theme, that thread running through this enormous, loud, noisy, bustling conference of silence and stillness. <clears throat> Jack? I just, I, I think I find it really interesting that there's a contrast for me in that we were talking about being aware and sensitive to the spirit. But I think there's also a part of this that requires obedience even when you don't feel it and by that I mean isn't it the reality that sometimes we get so hung up on being filled with the spirit looking like or feeling like a particular way that it becomes a hindrance if we aren't feeling what we perceive others are and there's the the obedience that God requires us to step into partnership with the Holy Spirit he has promised that if we ask that he will send the spirit We've been promised that we won't be left as orphans. And there's a danger that actually we don't step into obedience in situations or circumstances because we feel like we don't feel that the spirit is with us or that the spirit is on us. And I can think of testimonies I've heard from big, impressive preachers who have said, you know, they were in this situation. Someone asked them to pray for someone for healing. They felt absolutely dead at that moment in time because they were worried about the three other things they needed to do that day but they were put on the spot they prayed and the person was healed and there's there's sort of a not a contradiction but an interesting relationship between being sensitive to and aware of the holy spirit yet also aware of the fact that you need to step into the obedient place knowing that if you have asked that God has sent the Holy Spirit and actually you're able to operate an authority that you might not feel at that moment in time. Yeah, I think that's really well made and good point, Jackie. I, I think it also speaks to the whole piece around intentionally taking these quiet moments and silent moments in the even the course of, of the day and just stopping and and recognizing that in the silence. God is present, even if we don't have any particular feeling. And I think there's a danger that we identify certain feelings with the Holy Spirit. Um, certainly, you know, feelings go with the Holy Spirit. Um, but I can think of times when, when God's done amazing things and I've just not felt mm -hmm. anything. I mean, I felt I was present and said something and that was about it. And then there's other times when I've felt really disturbed. And I, I'm just, how would I put it, just uncomfortable. And and that's been a provocation of the Holy Spirit. And I have a particular story about praying actually for my mum and kind of being really uncomfortable with this and wondering whether I should do it or shouldn't do it. And um, I felt until I'd left the house, I, I felt really uncomfortable and then ended up saying to her, look, I better just pray for you because if I don't do this, I'll feel uncomfortable. And I prayed for her and she was actually quite remarkably healed. Um, but I didn't feel kind of all sorts of oozy, wonderful feelings. I just felt really disturbed until I'd done it. And and that, I think, also just can be something. So, we, you know, the range of 
responses and feelings that we have to the work of the Holy Spirit needs to include, yes, I'm feeling joyful. Yes, I'm feeling peaceful. But also, do you know what? I'm, I'm really feeling a bit uncomfortable. Uh, that can be the Holy Spirit. Or do you know what? I'm not actually even feeling anything, but I need to step into that position, believing in faith that, uh, that God will work. I think as well, Jackie, so you kind of like hinted towards the passage that Roman uh, that Ian was preaching from of, of Romans 8 and adoption. But it's interesting that in Romans 8, the contrast is not between kind of being an orphan and being a son, but being a slave and being a son. And that comes down to the really kind of like fundamental thing of whose authority are we under? Whose control are we under? So it's not, I, I, I get the, the, the orphan thing and I think there's, there's something important there, but that can kind of like focus on me feeling good about me of I no longer feel abandoned, but I feel loved and, it, and that's all true and that's all good. So people out in podcast land, please hear me right on, on this. But what Paul's getting at in Romans 8 is whose, whose control are you under? Are you a slave to the powers and authorities and sin and death and, and all that sort of stuff? Or are you living in the spirit, by the spirit, adopted as one of God's sons and therefore living in that inheritance? And that, so we're back to the goldfish and this water will keep coming of, because yes, it is about us being filled with the spirit, but we first need to be in the water or we simultaneously need to be in the water. So it's a both and of be in the water and be filled. So be completely immersed and be filled as well. So it's about the the whole environment. And that's where I quite like, in one sense, I don't like the idea of a quiet time because it kind of like suggests, that, you know, what if, if first thing in the morning, kind of like I do my stuff with God, I've done it, I've ticked that box, moved on, and I'm kind of like filled for the day. I'm so leaky, a quiet time doesn't do it because I need to be filled constantly because... Do you know what? The place that I was in when I was having my tight, quiet time and then you get, you know, out in the street or you're driving the car and somebody cuts you up or whatever. I need my quiet time then. <laughs> I need the sanctifying work of the spirit to be operative then. So we're back to that continual kind of of, of thing and, and developing rhythms, I guess, or just that awareness of God, I, I, I need you and I need you all the time. I mean, we sing it. Uh, the, the challenge is, is, is practicing it and being mindful of it in one sense, I guess. Well, I had been looking for a new logo for the podcast potentially, so a goldfish in a bowl is now right up there <laughs> in contention as podcast logo. So here we go. I'd like to touch on a couple of things. One is adoption and the other is something that Ian had said in the sermon which was, to paraphrase, in light of the coronation weekend, as being weirded out by the coronation. So we'll come to that in a second. But the whole adoption thing, I think there's an interesting context for the use of adoption in the New Testament, which is the different context that adoption was viewed in in New Testament times in comparison to today. So... You know, every Roman emperor up to whenever, 
someone Roman historian can correct me if I'm wrong, but basically every Roman emperor up to about AD 80 was adopted. So none of the emperor's natural children became the fall-on emperor during all the biblical times. They were always adopted into the family. So when people thought of adoption in New Testament times, the image they had was a kingly or emperor-type image being adopted into power into a powerful position whereas today that's maybe not the kind of standard if you don't think of the royal family like the coronation that we've just experienced adopting people into their family it's all about hereditariness and being born naturally into it and you know working your way up as people uh, you know die off at the end of the day so to what extent is our modern view of adoption or our lack of ancient understanding of adoption affect how we think about it when we talk about God adopting us as sons and daughters of him, the king. Gosh, Richard, that requires somebody who is an expert on uh, Roman culture and contemporary adoptive practices and beliefs. Where to begin with with all of that? Uh, I, I think... It does kind of speak to this whole thing that actually it's God's act in calling us into life in Christ that actually creates our status. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things we've been trying to say in these last few weeks is is actually in Christ we've been relocated. It's not just that God has, has done something for us. He's actually put us in a completely new place. And that new place affords us certain honours and and privileges. And so the whole idea that we are, as it were, called into uh, life in Christ by an act of grace on God's behalf, you know, is really underlined by that whole idea of adoption. It is one of Paul's favourite expressions for the Christian life. Um, And it speaks to this whole reality that we cannot do that for ourselves. It is something that is the the invitation, the calling, the work of another, and that God has acted for us and upon us to do something that we cannot do for ourselves. So it, it does speak to that whole initiative of grace that repositions us and, and gives us a new uh, status and, and new resources. I, I'm not sure... You know that the whole idea of of contemporary adoption really, you know, creates all of that. You know, it's much more of a kind of two way street in some occasions. You know, where mm. the family has to be properly matched, and is this a good match, and is it right cultural background, and and all of that. So perhaps it's a much more of a a process of uh, of a two way contract that folks mm-hmm. enter into in contemporary adoption whereas here the action is with God and and with God's privileging us with this status and so I think it speaks to that whole New Testament notion of grace in a really powerful way and in the same way you touched on about I think a number of folk will have watched the coronation at the weekend and be this is just a bit odd this just looks there's a guy in a hat in a cloak with an orb and a scepter, what's this all about? Can we sometimes get weirded out by the whole process that we hear Paul speaking about? You know, we are adopted as sons and daughters. We are elevated to this position 
beside the king, you know, co-heirs with Christ, etc. I, I think my kind of point was that, you know, we are the first generation who truly and fully believe, certainly in the West, that the material world is all that there is. Uh, and so we no longer live in a world that we perceive to be mystical or enchanted uh, in some kind of way. And our forefathers would not have had the same problems with that. People would have had an understanding that things were mystical and things were supernatural and you could put oil on somebody's head and, and something changed. So I suppose this is a plea for retaining the weirdness and mystery of Christian faith. That it's not, you know, this is not just a rational view of the world that just pertains and by following this rational view we can understand all things. Christian faith is about a revelation from heaven to earth of, of God and who God is. And that you know you have to take hold of that by faith. Ultimately that's not something you can kind of work out by putting together the pieces of of this world. But I think what something like the coronation reminds us is that people are globally and have been historically open to the supernatural. There's been a, 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 a kind of global sense that we are not alone in the universe, that there is a God in the universe. And I think we just need to take some awareness of that, that that is an expression of our human heart cry for connection and relationship with God. So if we don't see it in quite the same way in our contemporary culture, um, I think we need to hear from people globally and we need to listen to history and actually keep the weirdness in Christianity. You also talked about uh, failing to claim what God had put into our accounts when you were talking about the gift of inheritance, which I think this follows on nicely from. And you talked about appropriating the promise, believing that we're sons and heirs loved by God himself. And I'd written beside that, stepping out and believing. And I wonder the extent to which for each one of us, there is a requirement for us to take hold of the truth that we are heirs with authority and we're not living to the full extent of that. We're not living with the full awareness of all that's actually in our in our bank accounts, for want of a better phrase. We're not living in that abundance of knowing that actually we're children of a king with an abundant resource. And actually we are able, as a result of that, to have lives that look much different than we actually are. And that all comes back to the poverty part of it, that actually we're living so short of all that God has actually in Jesus paid for for us. I mean, Romans 8 is the great passage about Christian assurance and the the reality that we are God's children and the work of the Holy Spirit that continually testifies and speaks to that. So we're in a world where we're all struggling with what our identity is um, and trying to work that out for ourselves. And here is a, a text that's telling us that identity comes from outside ourselves. It comes as a as a work of God, and there's a security and a confidence and assurance that comes uh, from that. And I think many of us could really just testify to the way in which that's transformative when you actually recognise that God has already 
welcomed you into his family and assured you of his, his life and presence. And that gives a, an amazingly liberating platform for life. But I think the other aspect of this really is that we're living in an environment of giftedness that actually our world, our society tells us that we get things by working, by achieving. But the king of God is a kingdom of, of giftedness and, and God has gifted us with many things. And, you know, sometimes you hear people saying, well, I haven't got that spiritual gift and I haven't got that. And, you know, if I tried this, I, I might get it and disqualify ourselves. But actually, if you're in a culture of giftedness, it's not about whether you think you've got something or not or whether you are good at something or not. It's actually about taking hold of the gift and, and making use of it. So I, I think for me, there's a whole bit of, yeah, there's, there's stuff in God that's needing to be claimed because God is gifted every one of us, albeit in different ways, but that has to be activated. Now, you thought you were going to get away with it, but you're not. <laughs> you I all know, know what I'm about to do. Know you know coming. what's coming. You know what's coming. So you you scored a treble word score with your <laughs> Greek word this week. It was three words in one. I'm going to leave it to you to pronounce, although I might try and find a Greek speaker to give us a wee audio play as to how it actually should be pronounced in the meantime. But failing that, Ian, give us a lowdown on the Greek word helps as it's translated in the New Testament, which kind of follows on from what you've just been talking about. I, I mean, this is my principle that nobody really knows what accents ancient Greek <laughs> speakers had. So the principle that should be applied if you read your Bible is read confidently. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> black it and once, once it until you make it yeah because nobody really truly knows but let me I just I really like this word and it's one of these places where the translation is really quite anemic so the spirit helps us in our weakness that's uh, verse 19 I think of, of Romans 8 soon anti lambanetai is the word that's used soon is it's used all over the, you could actually do, this is a kind of a side for you, but if anybody has got a um, interlinear or whatever, and they want to follow through the use of soon, S-Y-N or S-U-N, it's usually transliterated in Romans 8, it's all over the place. It's one of Paul's favorite things to do is to stick this. We might, don't really have an equivalent in English, but co is quite like co-worker or sin as in synergy. That's kind of how we use that. And then the next bit is anti, which is, uh, we do use the word anti in various kind of ways in English, which means over against, and lambano is to take hold of. So you've kind of got these two words which are almost over and against each other, with and against, and take hold of. And so kind of putting all that together, the word means something like grabbing a hold of, to stand with us over and against what we're tackling. That's my kind of transliteration. So the spirit drawing alongside, being with us, standing with us over and against that which we are tackling and taking hold of us in order to sustain us and enable us to endure in adversity. So one word for all of that. So good. So the help helps. So good. <laughs> I have to say, if ever that makes the Greek word worth it, that's definitely a great example of it, Ian. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was tempted to avoid it and I thought, ah, this is such a good word. This is one of my favourites. So I'm not going to avoid it. Yeah, definitely not. Absolutely. As we bring the show, this week's show, in for a landing, one final word from everybody. Jackie, start us off. Well, I am contemplating, although you probably, my husband was probably going to not like this. I'm contemplating setting an alarm to go off at various points in the day to actually remind me 
as I am living life to pray come Holy Spirit, because it feels like I am needing prompting on a regular basis. <laughs> Which is what our, our forebears did five times a day, they would have the offices. See, going back in time. <laughs> Brody. Oh, I guess going back to kind of like Ian's allusion to the coronation of, I, it made me think of, this isn't really a word, more of a comment, sorry, of Charles Taylor, the Canadian philosopher's work on what the secular means. And for Taylor, the secular didn't mean a world without religion, but a world without transcendence, a world in which God doesn't act. And I think it, it makes me think of, of, you know, Paul telling us, you know, we need to renew our minds and we need, we need a, a Holy Spirit renewal of our mind where there is that expectation of, of God, what are you up to today? What are we doing together? Um, of that expectation, of, of that expectation just isn't for a Sunday morning when we're together, though. We sure should have that. But of, of God, what are you going to surprise me with today? What are we going to do together? What's going to happen? Good stuff. Ian, you preached it, so you get the final word. I'm probably going to just put a little bit of Brody's word and Jackie's word together and add a bit of a confession, which is actually some of us are trying to do what Jackie suggested um, and having moments of silence during the day just to say, well, actually, one of the things I'm saying in my silence is come Holy Spirit. But my confession is I've been so, so poor at creating these spots in the day. So um, you can come back to me next week and ask me how I've got on. But the last week has been really miserable. So I'm needing to up my game. <laughs> I'm benefiting from it. I'm appreciating it. But um, I'm not really doing very well. So I'm just not a rig. I mean, I would make a bad Benedictine monk. I, <laughs> um, I just the, the, I get my hours confused. So um, yeah, so I'm really going to try and go after that if i can do two points in the day um where i was just in silence um, i'm going to try that i thought you were going to say you, you would make a bad nun and i was going to point out there's a number of reasons you'd make a bad nun <laughs> but there we go ian can i ask just as a final thing this is a bit of a switch up for the podcast but with a topic like this it feels like an obvious win would you pray for us that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a great way just to finish. So yeah, Father, we thank you that you do not withhold any good gifts from those that love you. So for all of us on this podcast and listening to it, wherever we are, we just say, come Holy Spirit, fill our lives with the life of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Goodbye and amen. Amen. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.